All right, um, I'm going in. All right. Okay, so see that bone? Yes. So you want to sit on the other side of that bone. Okay. And um, just- We're just talking about that femur bone right there. Yeah, that femur yeah. bone, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then they'll- I'm just gonna sit next to the femur bone. <laughs> I'm meeting with Ozzy Cabral. He's a really highly celebrated adolescent therapist in Colorado. I'm at his wolf sanctuary. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. And in this episode, I get thrown to the wolves. This guy's got one of the best reputations we know. Uh, our kids have worked with him and his animals before. And we're about to go into this animal cage. We're about to go work with his animals. And Ozzy, thanks for the opportunity. I got a question. Having not been in an animal pen like this in many, many years, I feel my own nerves coming up, and I know parents, when they're having to deal with their teens who've just blown sideways, you know, suicide attempts, they've been in an acute unit, the kids are coming home. Just, you know, they're, they're, they're walking out of the car to go get the kid in the principal's office. They're going to pick up their kid at the hospital, they're at the police station. They're mad, they're upset, they didn't sleep, they haven't eaten. How do you settle your nervous system when you're walking into the wolf den? Yeah, well, really, these animals, similar to the um, similar to kids, they're going to pay attention to your energy, right? And so, really, what you want to do is before you go in to see the animals, it's kind of like doing a, a body scan, right? Making sure that you're grounded, making sure that you're still not amped up, because they're going to feed off of that, right? And so, um, and they're looking for your cue. So, if I'm a parent and I go into a, a room yelling and screaming, they're going to get defensive. If I go in here with a lot of energy and um, kind of this alpha energy in here, they're gonna shy away. I'm not their alpha at the moment, right? So I need to just ground my energy, stay tuned, stay balanced, pay attention to anything coming up and just breathe through it, breathe it down. What does that mean to be grounded? It's a term that certainly yeah. got popular in the new age right. and in California and Colorado and Washington and Oregon, but what does that mean to be grounded? What actually is going on in your body when you ground out to work with your animals? Stability and balance, really, you know, making sure that you're paying attention to the now, that you're uh, focused on any body cues, right? If you, if you feel some anxiety, don't let the anxiety take over. Just breathe through it, hold it down, stay focused. And if the animals kind of get crazy around you, don't get crazy with them, right? You don't, just because they get anxious doesn't mean that you have to get anxious with them because again, they're still paying attention to your energy. So just staying stable and balanced within, centered, then they're gonna respond to that, right? We don't wanna create more chaos in their environment because it just, it just increases the chaos. It's incredible because we're talking about these animals, but every parent listening knows we're talking about exactly. their teenagers and yeah. we've worked with them so long. Now I have a question. There's something you just said that confused me a little bit. You talked about walking in being alpha is gonna get them to shy away. So you're not actually going in to be alpha? No, you really wanna be part of their pack, right? I mean, if we come in trying to be dominant, some of them are gonna rise up to that. Others are gonna become very submissive and run away. They, they, they don't want, they don't wanna be dominated. They don't wanna be controlled. They want this kind of balance within the relationship. And so that's what we have to look for. And really the alpha um, theory in regards to wolves has been shot down. They, they don't, they say that there's really not um, an alpha leader anymore. You know, it's kind of really? an old theory, yeah. 
Yeah, so you, you want to maintain balance in the um, relationship where you're more of, a, of an equal in a sense, not a dominating force. How did all of this start? You working with wolves and, and wolf dogs and, and hybrids and all of this. How long ago? When did it start? And for God's sake, Ozzy, why? Yeah, my grandmother had some uh, wolf dogs. And then my uncle had found an animal that was, I don't know if it was a pure or a wolf dog, and they kept it for a while. And so I thought when I grow up, I'm going to get some wolf dogs. And so I started with lower content animals and moved up to uh, higher content. When I got Asha, she has a lot of uh, coyote, uh, gray wolf in her. And um, I thought I need to get some land for her because she was a handful escape artist, you know, and uh, I'd known this about these animals. And so looked for some land and then thought if I can help out some other animals, then, you know, the universe will bring them here to this land. And that's what happened. So it just kind of all just happened. And, you know, part of my bloodline is we chose native and I didn't know this, but I learned this later as I was doing my work that, that uh, we chose to believe that they're descendants of the of the wolf, similar to kind of how Lakotas are descendants of eagles. Well, so that's, you know, the wolf is very connected to the Wichol, and so um, it's in my bloodline. Recently, Colorado passed legislation to, to reintroduce wolves into the ecosystem, and I believe many of the people listening to this may have seen that video that was released by the, the Yellowstone Department of Wildlife or Division of, of Nature or whatever, about how wolves completely brought the ecosystem back. Significant changes. How many bees and, you know, how, how the river uh, uh, flow and, and just incredible changes. How does the legislation, if at all, affect you? It doesn't really. I mean, I think, well, I think what it can help with is when some of the fear and uh, misunderstanding of these animals, then maybe we can push more legislation legislation for uh, wolf dogs, right? Ownership and kind of change that landscape. So I think the beginning is these animals will start coming back and restoring some balance. And maybe at that point, we can really work with what these animals really are, you know, and what they represent and their temperament and how they are. And, and remove some of the fears and, and um, miseducation, misinformation that's out there about them. So I think that's how it can start that process. Do they make good pets? So there's different contents of animals. There's uh, low content, which means that they would have anywhere. I, you know, I think people would, there's always a, a disagreement in, in the wolf and wolf dog community about content, but a low content would probably be about 40, 45% and less. Mid-content can go up to about 80%, uh, 45 to 80% maybe, and then there's the higher contents. The lower contents, I think, do make really good pets. Uh, they can, right? They, you know, you still need to <clears throat> do the precautions over six-foot fencing, make sure that they have an enclosure, that sort of stuff. Uh, the higher content that they are, the more timid and fearful that they are, and the more socialization that they need. So you really need a lot of time and a lot of socialization. And, and, you know, there's some high contents that right around the three month mark, there's like a switch and they'll either, you can see that they'll, they have the potential of being social or 
it'll switch and you'll see this complete fear of humans. And those are really, really difficult animals for ownership. So I, I would say um, a mid content, maybe, you know, and low contents, yes. Are they considered aggressive breeds like Rottweilers, pit bulls, even German shepherds in some places? Well, that's the problem is that a lot of, um, there's so misrepresentation of these animals. Some people will sell huskies or, you know, um, husky mixes and say that they're pure wolves, that they're high content animals. And then the dogs become aggressive and the wolf gets the rap, right? Or the wolf dog gets the, the bad rap. And, you know, if you really look at DNA tested animals, no, there's not the aggressiveness that you see. The more the dog that is in the animal, the more aggressive that they are. Um, and it's just like, I mean, it's just like any animal. If you're abusing them, if they're, you know, you're not giving them the proper exercise, socialization, they could be very fearful and they do have the potential to attack. But the aggressiveness really comes with uh, the more dog that's in them. It was interesting because after my experience of being with you, you know, we talk about the fearful and the aggressive. After my experience of being out there in the on your property, I recently watched a survival show where these survival experts are all competing to stay out longer than each other. And there were some people who got out there with 24 hours they had left because they heard wolves howling nearby. And they were just like, I'm not saying I'm not, I'm not going to get killed. I'm going to get, and I had known from your experiences, like, actually there, there are bears, there are mountain lions and there are wolves. The last you got to worry about is the wolves. And where, where is all this coming from? Is this just popular culture myth? Is this promoted by Hollywood or is this the aggressive animal owner that's trying to live vicariously through some status symbol of a living creature? I think it's, I think it's both. I mean, you know, in, in the 1900s, they nearly became extinct. Wolves did You know, when the settlers came to the U S they brought with them a lot of intense hatred and fear of, of wolves. And we see that in Hollywood, we see that in folklore. So that's where it all started. And then, you know, farmers were afraid that they were going to eat their livestock, which added to kind of the, the, the myth of what the wolf is. And so, and then, you know, there's those stories of wolf dogs that really have more dog in them that become aggressive and the wolf gets the, uh, the rap. So I think it's just this, this fear of the unknown that the settlers brought and it incorporated into our folklore and it went into our conscious and this is who, where we're at now. But yeah, they'll leave you alone. They want nothing to do with you. Another experience I had had years ago with wolves of different content, you know, wolves and wolf dogs of different content was being in a teepee right near a lot of their, their pens and cages. And in the middle of the night while I was sleeping, I was woken up by about 15 wolves howling. Mm -hmm. There's not many experiences like that in the world. And, and the first thing that I experienced was the recognition that I was no longer the predator on the property, that there was that had the had the situation warranted, my life would have been in jeopardy. And they were doing nothing but sounding off. I don't. What is a wolf howl? What is that whole experience? Yes. Yeah, so, well, so wolves tend to they they hunt a lot at night, 
And so they will howl to alert the pack that they've caught something and where they're at. And just, I don't know, I think um, my experience too, it, it, you know, they're, they kind of remind me of roosters sometimes in the morning, they start howling. You know, I've thought about that a few times and I've sat out there with them. And I think that sometimes they take roll call to make sure everyone's around. It's kind of that, that connection to your pack and connection to where everybody's at okay, you know, are we safe? Here we go. You know, is everybody still around? How's everybody doing type stuff? So that's where that howling at the moon came from. Also, it is the nighttime, the nighttime hunting. And so they'll howl because they caught something, but you know, the moon's out and, and, you know, they don't howl because the moon's out, even though it is kind of cool. <laughs> it's the, the, the hunting. They also, they also howl when they're sad, when they want to get somewhere um, if, um, you know, if I'll move one animal to another enclosure, the animal that is connected to, cause they bond, right. Um, they'll start howling, wanting to get over to the other, um, to their, their mate or their other pair or whatever it is. And so it's also a form of sadness and, uh, emotional expression. While I was there with you, I was walking through one of the enclosures and came across crow feathers. And I asked you if I could take them. I still have them on, on my altar. I'm, I'm just in love with them because the, the, the crow and the wolf together both have very, you know, old Nordic symbolism. Both of those animals are various, uh, closely associated with Odin. And so having them in relationship to each other was, was, was very meaningful and special to me. Then I asked you, did you just find a dead crow on the road and throw it in here or something? You're like, no, no, they caught it out of midair. And then we started talking about how high they could jump. Now, you said earlier, at least a six-foot fence. Your fences are like, what, 18, 16? Like, you have, you have some massive enclosures. <laughs> Anywhere between 10 and 12, actually. Wow. So, yeah, and, and uh, reinforcement is always important putting up the, the overhang, but they can clear, you know, I have, I have two animals that can clear an eight foot fence easily. So you need that overhang for these animals. That's, that's one of the, the reasons in ownership is you have to have good enclosures. If you're going to be a private owner, make sure that it's in legal areas and have a good enclosure because they are escape artists. They're not, uh, they're, they're really, really intelligent animals. They need a lot of enrichment I think that's one of the games they play is the, the birds will, will fly and they'll just, they'll jump and catch them in midair or they'll, you know, the birds will land on the ground and they'll just crawl up to them and then, and then attack them. It's, it's pretty awesome to watch sometimes and sad. You've been working with uh, adolescents and adults. Am, am I correct? In, in recovery for a long time now, how many years? I got into the field in 2002 so I have a master's in clinical psychology and I got that in 2008. Okay. Yeah. Well, you've been working with, with adolescents and adults in recovery. And a big part of our conversation was about the, the similarities, being able to draw on the experience with your, your animals and working with the, the nature of addiction and mental health disorders. What else have you learned? What are, what, are, what are other correlations you've made throughout the years in working with your animals and people who struggle with addiction and mental health? Well, I, I think it's not just about similarities. It's also about lessons. 
you know, there's a lot of lessons that the, the, the wolf nation, the wolf dog nation can teach us if we just sit and watch them. They, they can teach us how to act. Uh, an adolescent that has a lot of fear and, and mistrust can sit in an enclosure and watch how the animal circles, what they're paying attention to. You know, you can learn some stuff from them, I think, and you can learn how to relax your, your nervous system. A lot of breathing and meditation and grounding to where they can sense that energy. So, so they teach us that, that the energy that we put out is important. And we see a lot of uh, personality and dynamics in there, right? The, the, you know, you can watch the animal and you can see family dynamics within the pack. You can see the enabler, you can see the, um, you know, the, the clown, you can see the, um, the authoritarian and, um, and you, you pay attention who you identify with and, and how they relate to the pack. So there's tons of lessons in that. I think there's tons of lessons in walking into enclosure with an animal that you've been taught your whole life that can kill you and you have to kind of face your fears so there's a lot of self-esteem, I think, and um, relationship building. And I think a big thing too, though, is to recognize that we are, these are our relatives, right? And so you start seeing the world differently. You know, this is, this is your cousins, the wolf nation, right? And if you can really find that empathy and that compassion for them as a relative, your whole worldview changes. You know, it, 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 it can't stay the same. There's a lot of internal changes that happens if you just, if you're just open to it. When I went in with you, um, I, I, I won't say I felt nervous. What I will say is I felt like I was supposed to be nervous and then try to compensate nervousness with either, uh, uh, being an authority, uh, or being the alpha. And we, we, the, the experience in the, in the enclosure of not being alpha, it didn't make me one of them. And you said to me that was important that, that, that I wasn't one of them. Yeah. I think, um, they are also training us They're they're, they're, how do I put this? I think that um, if we try and be one of them, it is really, it's fake. We never will, right? They know that. And they need time to adjust to who we are and our energy and then uh, include us into the pack in their own way. So we try and bust through the front door and get into their pack the way that we want. And that's not, it's, it's, it's what they allow. You know, it's not what we want or what we want to allow. If we do that, we're constantly bumping our heads and it'll never happen. So we have to let them allow us to go from visitor, observer, visitor to connection. Then it becomes genuine. And, and they know. They know when it's ego. They know when it's uh, someone trying to be a, an authoritarian. I've had people come in that that want to take that authoritarian rule and that want to really connect with them. They want these animals to come and hug them. I mean, who doesn't, right? And they they get so frustrated that it's not happening and it just pushes the animals away more. It's that energy. They can sense that energy. Once it's gone, they're okay to, to, to approach you and include you in the way that they want. 
I have a theory, Ozzy, that there's no such thing as being incongruent, that, that you actually can't be incongruent. When people are accused of, of incongruency, you know, you're lying. You're not, actually, because you're, 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 the body can't lie. The words can lie, but that's only 7% of communication. The body cannot lie. So I, I feel like, like I want to right? say that again. Like a polygraph. Yeah. Yeah, but because, because of the, the moment as a therapist, you know, body language is something that I've lectured on and teach therapists about and micro expressions. I've taught whole workshops to at, ther at therapy conventions about because if you can read those, it doesn't matter what the client is saying. Because you're you're not just listening, you're actually also watching, and you're you're experiencing the environment that the client is communicating from. That's how I felt inside the enclosure. That it didn't matter that you and I were having a full-on conversation because that's we weren't communicating to them. You and I were communicating to a camera. But maintaining consciousness on the inside communication, right? So much of what we've talked about. How, you know, it's only what they allow. You, you, they allow us to come in. You go in and try to take alpha male and they shy away because they don't trust you or you're not one of them to be the alpha male. We're not just talking about this. We're talking about parents with teenagers. Mm -hmm. So you have a practice, the way I see it, what I admire so much about you is that you have a practice of congruency. You can't be anybody but Aussie with your animals. What's come from this? What, how has this benefited you in your life? How has your consistent congruency practice, because that's what it is when you walk in the enclosure, it's a practice. How have you benefited from working with these animals? Wow. Uh, you know, it's been a, a huge blessing to work with these animals. I think that groundedness, self-awareness, self-awareness of my own impulses, my own fears, a lot of mindfulness and connection um, like I said earlier, when you start looking at these animals as relatives, then you start looking at everything else as relatives and connection. And it's, I, I think I go through life in a whole different way than I used to. It's not this caught up in the fast pace of the social system or what, you know, um, this belief that the humans are the center of the universe and it's also helped me with my connection to other people, right? If I can sit back and just pay attention, you know, if I can pay attention to my impulses when somebody comes in, this helps in working with um, mental health. You know, there's some personality disorders that someone comes into the room and they're just, they, they make you feel a certain way, some intensity, right? So I'm feeling like that. I connect to my wolf spirit and I say, okay, let me just observe. Let me let me move around like this animal does, and let me just let me just look and pay attention for a minute. And how do I how do I bring this person to match my my body calmness as well? You know, because that's what we do with the animals, right? We look at them, and eventually we have to start matching them to settle down. Um, so I think it's really helped me with um, uh, trust, understanding, patience, connection. You know, just to go back a little bit about um, how we're not one of them, you know, when you were talking, it reminded me of a parent going into a room 
trying to be the authority figure of a child. And I just pictured the kid on the bed, listening to music or something and angry and not wanting to pay attention to the parent. And the parent is saying, why aren't you listening to me? And it's that whole, you're not one of us, right? The kid goes into their own social system, their, their teen, you know, their friends, their, what they like, what they enjoy, that becomes their culture and connection. And this parent isn't in there. So the parent has to sit still also, right? And we have to, we have to interact with them in a different way. It's going into a wolf enclosure, you know, and you just have to interact with them in a different way where you're not one of them. You're not an authority figure, but what do I, how do I take these lessons with this animal to build trust in this room? It's amazing because what, what I love so much about that metaphor, that, that, that the symbolism of that is that when a parent goes in and the authority piece doesn't work because you're not one of them, you can't boss around a pack of wolves because you're not a wolf, right? So they treat you, they ignore you. They, they go off, they're doing their thing. They're communicating with each other. You're trying to be in charge. So then parents start to follow up with, I remember what it was like. I was, I was a teenager once and I keep telling parents, you have no idea what it's like to be a teenager. A, because you're remembering from an adult fully developed brain and you didn't have one then. So you don't have the same brain. So you can't remember what it's like. And two, as a parent, raise your hand. If you remember doing live active shooter drills, Oh, none of you. Oh, wow. Interesting. Well, that's new. Uh, raise your hand. If you had access to unlimited information, anarchy, like, like right. raise your hand if you had the computing power of NASA when they put a man on the moon in the palm of your hand. Like, raise your hand if you had access to violence and sexuality the way these yeah. children do. We are not one of them. And yeah. what I learned with you is that I'm not supposed to be. I'm supposed to be Aaron. And as a parent, if you can retain connection to your own value system when you're parenting not trying to make it theirs because I can't make these dogs human and not trying to align mine with them because I ain't a wolf. I'm right. just Aaron and they'll relate to me when they're ready to relate to my values. Right. But, but what was crazy Ozzy is that that was all happening and I had leverage. I had food that they wanted. I had a pack of smelly hot dogs <laughs> and hot dog grease and meat all over my hand thinking they're going to love me now. And they came when they were ready, not when I was ready, not because of my leverage, not because of my desire to, oh my God, I touched a wolf. It was, yeah, it was purely on their terms. They know that you want to feed them, right? They know what you want for them, just like the parent. The kid knows what you want for them. It's just, you have to go about it in that different way. And you have to have that, you have to breathe through it. You don't always get what you want. Yeah, I think the stone said it best. When you bring your clients into your work, what are your goals? The big one is for them to start paying attention to their own reactions and impulses, right? I think if we can start paying attention to getting more education about ourselves and how we react, then we can change things and do things differently. Then I think it's building that uh, connection and compassion and empathy. If you can give it to an animal, you can start giving it to yourself. And you have to give it to yourself when you're sitting there learning about yourself to connect with these animals, right? You have to give yourself some compassion and some patience 
and some understanding. And if they don't come to you this time, that's okay. You know, I can do it again later. So it's it's that not giving up, right? It's that uh, persistence in a, in a different way. And then it's it's just that education of what is my what are my issues? What needs to change within me? And how do I change that? Overcoming the fear that I have, right? These misunderstandings. One thing that I like to do with the kids is, um, you know, I'll ask them, "What did you know about wolves?" before you came to visit? What have you been told? Well, that they're vicious animals, they'll kill you, blah, blah, blah. And what do you know of them now, right? And it's a whole different story. And then I say, so so what have you been told about you? And that, you know, I'm a messed up kid. I don't, I hate everybody. I don't care. And what is the truth? What do you know about you? And, and, and there's that similarity, right? We're told different things and we believe them. And the reality is, who we are and who the animal is, is a whole different person. So how do we stay connected to that now? Right. And how do I move forward within that truth? Um, Because they are good kids, right? Let's break the myth and the stories that you've been told about you, about these animals and incorporate truth into your actions. One of the things that I know because of the work we do, but also having you know, known you for so long is that you have worked with some incredibly abused animals. And I seem to remember, and I don't, I can't remember, I can't remember whether or not we already had this conversation um, about what happened, but I remember that there was a point in 2018 or 19 that you had had plans to travel to Minnesota yeah. To get some to get some wolves that were on a wolf sanctuary, but then there was like a secret gift shop in the back with wolf pelts and wolf yeah. skulls. Like they this woman was pelting these animals. First of all, are any of the animals I met from there or did that thing not work out? No, so a lot of those animals went to another sanctuary that has kind of gotten themselves into a lot of legal issues at this point. And so I'm not going to name them, but there's a lot of legal stuff going on at this time about kind of all of that. There's, you know, the wolf and wolf dog community, unfortunately, is very cutthroat, very political, and very dominated by a lot of egos. It's unfortunate because the animals continue to, to get caught up in that, you know, that human peace. And, um, so a lot of these animals that, uh, that people go to save end up becoming part of that. And, and then there's issues that come out of that. So all we can do is pray for the animals, right? And they're out of that one situation. They're just in another. Right. So we'll see what happens. One of the things that that I recognize is that you, you're able to, and I'm using your words here, the paying attention to the reactions and impulses, connections, compassion, empathy, patience, understanding, persistence. And I, and I know a lot of my parent listeners are listening to you saying, I understand the correlations between the wolf dogs, uh, you know, your animals, their enclosures, my teenager and their bedroom, their enclosure. And... <laughs> It's ideal that you work in an environment where, with that you can be patient and compassionate, d- despite the fact that these 
animals are digging holes under your fence and escaping and, you know, potentially wreaking havoc on your neighbors and blah, all the types of things that you've done. But there have been times that you've had to go in for the rescue. And when life and limb of one of your animals was on the line, you had to get in there and make a change, force a change. No, there's been, you know, I've been bit a few times. There's, we did a rescue in uh, New Mexico. Where we went and had to capture a, a pretty big animal and corner him. And, and uh, I had to put the leash around his neck. And, you know, those situations, I think it's all about safety, health, right? That's when you really have to kind of push the effort um, and do what you need to do. So, so, you know, I think we have to identify that. What are the safety factors what are the, the um, what's going on that is really detrimental and dangerous? Or is it just another day in the life of where I'm just going to be angry at them because they're in their enclosure, not talking to me, right? So it's, it's always looking at that. And there is times that, you know, for the benefit, we have to, you know, getting them into treatment is one of those areas, right? If I got to get my kid into treatment, if I got to get my animal to the, the, the vet, I'm going to, I got to stop them. I got to get in there and I've got to do what I need to do. Right. Do I sometimes, does the animal sometimes hate and not trust me anymore? Yeah. You know, I, I'm going through that right now with one of the animals, uh, Ipaji, the one you met and trying to catch her was, was um, not from where I got her, but I moved her into a bigger enclosure and then I had to move her into a smaller enclosure in case I needed to get her to the vet and that sort of stuff. And uh, moving her, um, she was already freaked out. It was a new environment, but I had to catch her. And so uh, she, it was traumatic for her and she did not trust me. She hasn't trusted me in a long time. It's just been actually when you were there, I think I said, she doesn't come eat out of my hand. She just started eating out of my hand three days ago, first time. And it's all that patience afterwards, right? I know that I've traumatized this animal, um, not because I wanted to, I, I had to, and it's waiting it out, right? Did I push my agenda? You're gonna love me now, you're my animal. There's that authoritarian, you're my animal and, and you're gonna love me now. No, I had to wait it out and I had to still be that, person in this animal's life that showed up, that would sit there quietly, that would sit there and watch, that would show body language of openness and compassion, that would feed them, that would give them the nurture that they need, right? And eventually, she came and ate out of my hand. That's amazing. Are you allowed to decide what's next, or are you just not there yet with Ibaji? I think with all my animals, to be honest with you, they all tell me what's next. <laughs> they lead. They really do, you know? Um, and I'm okay with that. I think it's okay to, to, to sit back and, and let them tell me what they need. And then, you know, I get it to them. Because at the end of the day, they're going to be a better animal because of my patience and my willingness to work with them in that sense, right? Uh, they come to their own conclusions. They come to their own finalizations and they come to their own security. That's what I want for them. And it sounded like at the beginning, the only, the only requirement that mattered was that you protect her. 
that you keep her safe. And yeah, there was, there was the, that, that process where she goes, now I don't trust you. And you accepted it. And, and we're, you and I are talking about parents here. Well, parents mm-hmm. who have had to put their kid into a therapeutic intervention or a, a treatment facility or an acute program, the kids say things. I'll never talk. I'll never trust. I'll never, never, never. And parents have to say, okay, that's what is. But you're alive. I, I had a mom say it best. She had, because you know, as as the holidays just went by, some of some of the kids in our program were able to to leave and go home for for the holidays, and others could not. And one mom who just really really struggled with it, she finally said to us, "We didn't have to teach her. She taught us." She said, "I'll trade you this Christmas for all the other ones," and that's it. Seems like what you did with your yeah. animal. Yeah. I mean, that's it, you know, and it's, we have to remember that cognitions and belief systems change, right? I'll never trust you. I'll never, never, never. As, as the child grows older, as the animal grows older, I hate saying, you know, the child, the animal. But every parent listening is saying it's, it's, there's this animal in my house and I'm walking on tip or it growls and snaps at me and runs away. And oh my God. Exactly. Yeah. So I think parents need to come out and visit, you know, and learn their own. But I think cognition changes, belief systems change. We have to remember when we go into the enclosure, even though they 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 give us the I don't trust you attitude, they're still paying attention. And they still want some sort of nurturance and connection. Like these animals do, the children, the kids do. They just, they're not going to show it to you because they don't want to show weakness. They don't want to show that their defenses are down. So as, as they go through the process, cognitions change, belief systems change. And next thing you know, they'll be eating hot dogs out of your hands. I'm curious, did you learn to work with teens by working with your animals or did you learn to work with your animals by working with teens? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of similarities. Yeah. And there's a lot of similarities when you, when you run with a pack, you can see kind of the enabler, the class clown, you can see the, the resistance, the defiance. So the, the family dynamics actually play out within the pack as well. So it, it helps. How long did you work in adolescent recovery? Um, shoot, I think I started in maybe 2006 and um, have worked with adolescents uh, throughout probably till about 2016, 17. Okay. Yeah. Incredible. Well, and then the kids that come over here, of course, still working with them. Of course. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm ready if you are. All right. Let's go. Go in. So one of the first things I notice when I walk in is the alertness and the, the caution that they take. And that reminds me of walking into the facility. Um, they're, they're, they're looking. They're looking to see my energy. If I walk into the facility first thing in the morning, um, the kids are looking to me. Right. To establish how the day's going to go, not... Energy. Yeah. Right. And so, so when parents call and they say, oh, my kid runs the house... My, my, my first response is what I want to say is that's not the kid's fault, mm-hmm. right? When I walk into the facility, the kids look to me to say, his energy is going to tell us how today's going to go. Right. So I have to be really mindful of what's going on. Right. 
yeah, if, if a parent walks into the house with kind of that, that subjugating or that lower energy of I'm not um, dominant or an equal, then yeah, they're going to run it. How do you become the, the, the sunlight, right? Most, most kids, when they're, when they're, you know, utilizing at-risk behavior, they, they start to do things in the shadows, right? Things they don't want their parents to know they're doing, things like that. How do you as a parent kind of invite the sun? How do you invite your animals to you? Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's that establishing that connection, right? Establishing that connection and trust. When they have that, <laughs> when they have that, they're more open to uh, um, connecting in a different way, you know? Um, I want to relate that experience that I just experienced. Yeah. So came up to me, good eye contact. It was, it was clear to me, she, she wanted to get to know me. I held out my hand, back of my hand. She licked, she, she wagged. And then there was a defensiveness. Yeah. What did I do wrong? <laughs> or, or is she just saying, I'm not ready to totally trust you? Right, exactly. She's not, she doesn't know who you are. She doesn't know how you fit in her world. So she needs to make That's sense of how you fit in her world first before um, she kind of lets that defense down. And so, of course, that's exactly like a teenager. Mm -hmm. you're, you're still trying to lead with your value system. You're, you're still right. trying to establish their, their morals. Right. And they don't know how you fit into their world. Exactly. You're incredible. Exactly. So, so they have to make sense of how we fit and how we relate to their world. And then, um, then they open up. Is it ever really fair to say that they will never see you as part of their world, do they inherently know you're different? Or do they fully recognize you, Ozzy, as this is the one who feeds us, this is the one? Yeah, so that's the interesting thing, and it's similar to, to teenagers as well. When I'm alone, they, I'm part of their pack. When other people are around, they're not sure. Right, and because so they, similar to like the teenager that's embarrassed of their parents. Right, they see you with, they're like, he's not part of, what are you doing with him? You're right. supposed to be with us. Right, yeah. Fantastic. So when I'm alone, they're all over me um, and we have a good relationship. When, when there's other people here, they're a little more hesitant. Um, what are you going to do? Right. You know. So I'm walking into your, their party. This is their house party and I've just walked in. I just so want to pet them. Now, as, as a parent, I just don't want to hug my teen. I right. just want them to connect. Is, is that appropriate in this matter? Do, as they come towards me, do I reach out for them or do I let them establish, I, I'll sit in front of you, I'll lay down in front of you, then you can touch me. Like, yeah. Or do I just, am I not there yet? So if they let you, perfect. The thing is that you always want to come underneath. You don't want to go over, no over the top, which is ah. that control, that fear. It's, a, right. it's a, um, a threatening act that I'm going right. to hold them down versus, and I mean, in body language and in, in right. old, you know, therapeutic body language, this is an act of service. This is an act of dominance. So come underneath, right? So come underneath in service. Exactly. Don't come over. Okay. Last question. You've given me leverage, yes. right? Okay. <laughs> right. What's good leverage for parents? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I mean, what does a teen need? Friendship and understanding. Yeah. Right? I, I think it's establishing that, some sort of friendship, connection, understanding, and space. You know, that's space. the treat. Yeah. Right? Can parents come work with you? Parents of these, can, can, they, can they come into town, stay in a hotel, and come out and spend some time with you? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I think it's important 
there's a lot of lessons, you know, so my belief system is I look at medicine very differently, right? Medicine isn't just in a pill. It's not Western, you know, pharmacy or medicine. Laughter is a form of medicine, right? And so I think these animals carry a specific medicine that will heal you in many different ways. Um, the land also, you know, that's why I have to smudge everybody that gets on the land. It's, it's a form of keeping it sacred, right? And so medicine is there. And I think that uh, for people that want to come heal, to just sit out there and meditate and watch these animals run around you and cry is huge. So, you know, come down and, and, and get some medicine from these animals and, and see where the, where the healing lands. How does a, a family member get in touch with you? Uh, the best way is to just contact me by phone. Well, I'm going to give you the number. 720-400-7600. Pretty simple number. 720-400-7600. Give me a call. We'll set something up. And, you know, um, I think it, it's, it's good to know either before or there what the healing needs to be. Um, and then, you know, we can set that up there. I want to thank my guest, Ozzy Cabral, for this incredible experience. Uh, you'll be able to see more of this experience once we release all the film footage of this entire day that I got to spend with these magnificent animals and Ozzy Cabral's brilliance. So big thanks to Ozzy Cabral. I also want to thank Deepin Productions for producing this podcast and creating this incredible music and making me sound so good. My thanks to Your Cause Consulting for making sure that this podcast gets put in front of all the right people. Parents, take care of yourselves first, your adult relationships second, and your children third, because in that way, we're going to do the best for our children. My name's Aaron Huey. I'll see you next week on Beyond Risk and back.